Welcome to Immigration Nerds. I'm Ian Gaines. Here we uncomplicate the complicated. Today we're joined by Xavier Francis, Global Attorney for Ericsson Immigration Group. In light of new USCIS policy changes, F-1 visa holders may face new challenges during the process of obtaining H-1B status. We take a look at how these changes could potentially impact visa holders and what can be done policy-wise to protect against losing working rights while an H-1B application is pending. Come join us Beyond Borders. Can you tell us the process from F-1 to H-1B? Sure. So if an F-1 student wants to work in the United States, he or she would apply for H-1B visa. The H-1B visa is company-sponsored. What does that mean? The company would have to apply, petition for the visa on behalf of the student. The student would get an offer of employment from the company. The company would file um, the H-1B petition to USCIS on behalf of the student on April 1st. Okay. If the petition is selected in the lottery and approved, the student will receive an H-1B visa, right? And the person can begin working on October 1st. That's an oversimplified, streamlined process of from H1 from F1 to H1B. Um, and that process overall from application to approval, uh, how long does that take? Yes, if the stars are aligned, you know, it, <laughs> it should take place within six months. From six April months. 1st to September 30th like, is, is sort of the, um, the Perfect period. Perfect case right, scenario. Right, because, you know, the, the, that's when the case is adjudicated is by USCIS. That's when the approval should be issued. Mm-hmm. And by the time October 1st comes, the student's you know, the former student can now begin working in H-1B status. status. Okay. Right. Recently, there, there's been news that USCIS has taken away the premium processing of H-1B. How does this affect those who are trying to apply now? Is there a particular time? Typically, USCIS suspended premium processing for H-1B, peti- H-1B petitions in general, not just people who are changing status from F-1s to H-1B. Mm-hmm. It's all H-1B petitions. Oh, H-1. this, is, this, is a sub, this is the second year in a row okay. that USCIS has done that. Okay. Um, the problem is they have not accounted for the collateral effects that this has on particular on some non-immigrants, mm-hmm. particularly F-1 visa holders. Okay. What, what, what do I mean by that? So when you... Premium processing requires USCIS to adjudicate the petition within 15, 15 calendar days, right? Mm. So that's expedited processing. Okay. I think that the government doesn't have the resources to adjudicate petitions in 15 days. That's why they are suspending premium processing. A lot of stakeholders are in the dark as to when petitions will actually be adjudicated because premium processing guarantees that it will be adjudicated within 15 days. When that's suspended, it has a lot of effects on particular stakeholders so for example for, mm-hmm. um I, I talk about f1 visa holders right mm-hmm. um if your cap gap or opt expires and you haven't received notice from uscis mm-hmm. you can't continue working and it should be noted that you know this is particularly a problem for non-stem students stem refers to science 
technology, engineering, and mathematics, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So STEM students can extend their OPT for an additional 24 months. If you're a non-STEM student, you have pretty much a year of yeah. OPT. Um, if your OPT expires and you have not received uh, any notice from USCIS regarding your H-1B petition, then you, you run into some serious issues with regards to work authorization. For those in that last scenario, they'll be left in sort of a, a limbo state. Mm-hmm. They're, they're no longer in the F-1 status and they haven't gotten the, the approval or the rejection from uh, the H-1B. So uh, what, what happens to them? Is there a way that through this cap gap, uh, do they mm-hmm. keep some sort of authorization or mm-hmm. do they, they have a period that they can stay in the yeah. United States until it gets approved? What sort of mm-hmm. options do they have? So let's take a step back first before okay. explaining that there are two types of cap gaps, right? Mm-hmm. There's a preliminary cap gap and a subsequent cap gap. The preliminary cap gap is granted through June 1st. Okay. So if you're an F1 visa holder, you submit your petition to USCIS. You then take a copy of your petition to the DSO at your school and you're issued with a preliminary cap gap I-20 that's valid through June 1st, okay. right? Hmm. If your case is selected in the lottery for adjudication, you take the receipt notice, you give it to the DSO, and you're given a subsequent cap gap through September 30th. On October 1st, you can begin working because that's the beginning of the fiscal year, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens to a student who applied for H-1B visa, he's on a preliminary cap gap that expires on June 1st. It's June 2nd. And the student has not received notice from USCIS. The law doesn't account for that, right? That's mm-hmm. a gray area. Right. The student in that in that situation would have to stop working because mm-hmm. the cap gap allows work authorization. If the cap gap expires on June 1st, it can't work on June 2nd. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a problem that the law doesn't really provide recourse um, oh, okay. to, to affected parties. So. Um, it's a, it's sort of like a, it's a, it's a complex, it's a complex issue and it's, you know, USCIS, um, hasn't really accounted for these inefficiencies. There's also another issue with regards to RFE. A lot of practitioners and stakeholders have witnessed an increasing number of RFEs in recent years. Um, Mm -hmm. especially like- Can you explain just very, very briefly what RFE? RFE stands Mm -hmm. for Request for Evidence, right? It's basically Mm -hmm. the USCIS- asking the petitioner, you know, we need more evidence regarding this case. Can you okay. provide us with more facts or more documents? Yes, um, more, more like uh, documented proof. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. to why this person mm-hmm. qualifies for a specialty occupation visa. Sure, okay. Um, the problem is, if you're an F1 visa holder, non-STEM, your OBT expires, your cap gap expires, you get an RFE, and the RFE is adjudicated beyond September 30th beyond October 1st, beyond the start of the fiscal year, once a cap gap expires, you can't continue working because the RFE is sort of like the adjudication process for your H-1B mm-hmm. visa. So until your visa is issued, you can't continue working. And the law doesn't really provide a recourse or sort of like an extension of the cap gap beyond no. September 30 for those affected parties. 
And that's why I wrote about these issues because with the increasing number of RFEs, right, mm -hmm. and with the continued suspension of premium processing, um, these collateral effects will continue to become increasingly um, issue. Yeah, 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 for for stakeholders. So, um, you know, it doesn't affect everyone, but it affects a subgroup. Um, and there are a lot of F1 visa holders in this country. So if USCIS is going to issue more RFEs, or if they're going to continue suspending premium processing, they have to take into account, okay, like how will this affect mm. this subset, this subgroup of, of visa holders? And for this group, is there any sort of recourse of action that they can take to avoid a situation like this? And then uh, let's look at on the side of USCIS. Is there potential policy considerations or <laughs> um, is it like a, a financial restraint on the part of USCIS that does not allow them to do premium processing? So there isn't much the applicant can do in a situation that I just described, right? So applicants would have to stop working. Um, the applicants could enroll in university okay. um, and apply for early CPT, which would allow him or her to work, continue working. Um, the applicant can even go back home if she wants to, um, mm -hmm. which... I wouldn't advise because that would trigger consular processing in terms of what the government could do. So it's not too much on the applicant's side to really rectify the situation. Right, as, right. As much, I mean, the biggest um, issue yeah. is that the person, you know, can't work. And right, right. Um, you were, you know, you know, your case was selected for adjudication, but you got an RFE. The RFE is taking a very long time to be adjudicated. Um, you ran out of work authorization, you know, right. what do you do? Like, right. there's, there's really exactly. nothing. The law doesn't really provide recourse right. for, 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 for that situation, and it's kind of sure. sad. So on the policy side, mm. I also work in global immigration, and I work with, uh, you know, I help clients obtain work permits in many different countries um, across Europe, Asia, South America, um, Asia Pacific. So in Australia, they have what's called a bridging visa. And pretty much a bridging visa, what it does is it's a, it, it allows um, people who are changing status within the country to maintain that status while their pending application is being adjudicated, mm. right? So essentially, it's sort of like CapGap, but on a bigger scale. It has its own visa category. So CapGap only applies to F1 visa um, holders changing status to H1B. The Australian bridging visa is its own visa category, right? Mm -hmm. um, so what it does is the bridging visa allows the beneficiary to, to retain her substantive rights um, of the previous visa while the new visa is pending. Wow. So what, okay. what does that mean? If you enter on a particular work permit in Australia um, and a visa that, allowed you, that allows you to work and you're changing status to another type of work permit for whatever reason, if your current work permit expires before the new work permit has been adjudicated, you can apply for a bridging visa. The, the bridging, bridging visa, you know, it, it allows you to retain the same substantive rights, meaning that right. you can continue working yes. while the new... In, in between the time. In between the time. Yes. Right. While, while it's pending. While it's pending. Right. If you enter on a business visa, mm -hmm. 
and you're trying to change status to a working visa, the bridging visa wouldn't allow you to work because the substantive rights associated with the business visa doesn't allow you to work. Because on a business visa, you can, you, can only train, you can only attend trainings, meetings, conferences. Um, so the bridging visa is, allows you to retain the substantive rights. Right. Now, in the US, that would be very useful to F1 holders changing status to H1B, particularly with the cap gap issue, because if the F1 holder gets an RFE that is you know, adjudicated beyond September 30th, and the person can cannot continue working. That person could apply for a bridging visa. If that's mm. in the U.S., they could apply for the U.S. equivalent to a bridging visa that could allow that would allow them to work. Right. You to know, hold that status to hold that status. status you know, while until, uh, yes, until the H one B has been adjudicated or, okay. or a decision has been made. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's a brilliant idea. The thing about it is like. You know, we have one of the most complex immigration systems in the world. <laughs> I, I was going to ask, yeah. is, what's the likelihood of that concept being adopted? Currently, no. Mm. Given the current immigration climate, current administration, mm. um, it's very unlikely. Mm. Um, I think it's an issue that we can, um, that we shouldn't ignore. I mean, at least we can identify it and talk about it now. And if we continue to talk about it, eventually it might get more attention Right. Um, and some, you know, we can sort of like start taking steps for towards more large scale um, mm-hmm. policy changes. Um, I think we have a very complex immigration system in the U.S. That doesn't mean it's the most efficient. And other countries have figured out how to account for inefficiencies within their systems. And there's a lot that we can learn by looking at what other countries are doing. Sure. And that's why... That's one of the reasons why I discussed the Australian bridging visa as a policy consideration because it perfectly it perfectly fits within this issue, and I think right. it's a solid um, um, solution. Right. The goal really is how to maintain work authorization uh, while your H one B is mm-hmm. pending. Yeah. Right. And yeah. some yeah. applicants fall through the cracks, mm-hmm. and and it's so it's taking those steps, identifying those uh, applicants and what sort of scenarios and situations that they do fall through the cracks and amending that and just really just taking the time because we do have examples outside of our current location that addresses Mm -hmm. this issue and it'll be something really to look forward to as future policy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i think the you know sort of like the policy changes that i wrote about can be applied to other non-immigrant visa holders as well. Um, for instance, let's look at last year's um, H-1B filing. Um, mm. there, were, there were an increasing number of RFEs being issued against companies. And we have responded to RFEs as late as March of this year for last year's H-1B cap. Think mm-hmm. about that. Wow. You know, last yeah. year, April, <laughs> April 2017, people have, yeah. you know, we filed H-1Bs. And people were still responding to RFEs in March, March. of 2018. Wow. So mm-hmm. think about people who actually are affected by this and mm-hmm. whether or not they, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna be people who run into these issues with regards to work authorization because of the increasing number of RFEs. USCIS has not considered the collateral effects of this. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such an, an unpredictable process. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a scary, a scary process for a lot of 
stakeholders who are involved in, in, in this process because these are people who want to want to have a life in the US sure. and they have sure. hopes and dreams just like everybody else yes, and if they absolutely. can't stay here that's a scary you know yeah. ordeal for a lot for more content and immigration updates please visit our website at eiglaw.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law and our Instagram underscore EIG law to join in the conversation. Thank you for listening. See you next time.